0: All right, we're going to open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We thank you for your spirit. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and guide and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Being the first Sunday after New Year's, I usually do a kind of a New Year's message uh, to think into this. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. Starting at chapter, uh, it's gonna be one of those days. Starting at verse 25, and we're gonna we're gonna read from chapter six to chapter 25. Yes, (laughs) yeah, we'll be here we'll be here all day just reading just reading the scriptures. Matthew 6:25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your of your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on it. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not. Neither do they reap, nor gather into their barns. Yet there your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more important than they? Which of you, by taking a, th- a thought, can add one cubic unto your statue? And why should it take you thought of raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat and what shall we drink, and wherewith shall we be clothed? After all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And the other verse that, I, that we're going to look at is Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And primarily for the purpose of this message, and for an emphasis for the year, I want to only look at the first four words of that verse, which was, in the beginning, God. And this is going to be a focus that I want to place a little bit on the church for this year, in the beginning, God. So we look at this and what where Jesus is telling him is, what do we worry about? What do we worry about as human beings? And we think about the world's way of doing things, as he said, the way the Gentiles think. What are we going to eat? Where are we going to live? What are we going to wear? You know, and the sad thing about this is Jesus is telling us here, don't worry about those things. (laughs) That doesn't mean we take no concern for them at all. You know, we take and provide for ourselves. We build a house. We live in a house or we, in our day, buy a house. (laughs) We don't build our houses anymore, but we buy a house. We buy our food or we grow food. But he says, don't worry about it. And this is a very interesting thing for us. We as human beings spend more time worrying about the future and how things are going to be working out than living our present life in many cases. We're living in today, trying to provide for today, and worrying about tomorrow. And the sad thing about that is we may not even get to tomorrow. At some point in in our time, we will not get to tomorrow. Tomorrow. At some point in our time, we won't get to the next hour, minute, or even second. And we have no idea when that point will be. You know, and I remember this message one time I heard, or something somebody said. He was talking about how when you're young, you look forward to retirement, and when you, re- when you retire, you look back and wish you had done more during your time when you were waiting for retirement. You know, and, I'm, and I think about that Sometimes. People put off, you know, when I retire, I'm going to do all these things. And when they get to retirement, they either don't have enough money or don't have enough health to be able to do everything that they wanted to do. We need to be very careful. Live each day the way that God wants it lived. And this is what he's telling us. He's going, you know, think about these things. The world thinks about these things. And he says, I want you thinking about the eternal. There's a statement that says, you know, goes along the lines, that person's so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly good. The only problem with that statement is it's a total lie. The more we have our mind on heavenly things, the more we're going to do in this world for God. The more I spend time in the word of God, the more I think about entering heaven and the rewards of heaven, the more I'm going to do on this world. Do you know that history tells us that before Christ came into the world, hospitals, orphanages, old, old hoax homes, retirements were practically nonexistent? All right. You had doctors. If they couldn't immediately treat you, if you, got, if you were a warrior and you got hurt on the battlefield and you couldn't march off with the army, you were so important they left you behind said if you live you can join us or go home we don't care but you're left behind because you can't you're gonna slow the army down you hadn't had kids and you didn't want them you just kicked them out on the street the sad thing is that's still happening today in much of the world that doesn't follow Christianity in most of Asia and much of Africa they have their kids that they don't, can't take care of them they just kick them out four or five six-year-old kids running around the street trying to survive why? Because Christianity doesn't sway. The Bible and God's love doesn't sway in their neighborhoods. We need to keep this in mind. Christianity changed the world to a point where, as we are now becoming more violent, more abusive to people, you know, you listen to the Christian world and they go, we're going to a post-Christian world. Well, the sad thing is, we're not going to a post-Christian world. We're going to a pre-Christian world. If you just look at history before Christ, you will see that we're returning to the brutality of the world under Satan's rule. And we're coming back to that. We're coming back to that because we're getting closer and closer to the end days. The Bible tells us that in the last days, it will be like the days of Noah when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. If you look around you, everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. We're even being taught in school. You're to self-actualize, which means do what you think is best for you. As long as you're happy, it doesn't matter about anybody else. That's the world's way of looking at things, which means as long as I'm happy, everybody else can go to hell. Everybody else can have a really bad time as long as I get what I want. The only problem with that problem, is, uh, that uh, idea, is when you've got millions of people all trying to do what's best for them, it's a pretty bad world. When I don't care what anybody else has to suffer, as long as I'm happy and the next person is thinking the same thing, they're happy as long as they're happy and it doesn't matter what happens to me, we have a problem. If you, all you, if you don't believe this is true, go drive someplace where there's a lot of traffic and try to do merging. Where everybody says, my, 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 12 in, my 12 feet of space for my car is more important than you getting ahead of me. And the person right behind them saying the same thing. And you know all you'd have to do if you all merged, if everybody would just merge and take turns, there would not be a, a traffic jam there, because you would just take turns, and it would not be a problem. You'd all move. And because nobody's taking turns, nobody moves. <laughs> This is the problem with the way the world thinks. What is it all about for me? You know, a me first generation. And I've told everybody, you know, the more you talk about the I, you know, if all your conversations is about I and me, and what's, well, look at me, or what's, or poor, poor me, or look at all the things I have, the more you're using that first pronoun, first person pronoun, the more trouble your life is going to be because you're so focused on yourself. Our focus is to be on others. Jesus said we are to be the servants of other people. And this is very important. Are we willing to serve? And as we get back to this whole idea of where I'm looking at, in the beginning, God. God. If I'm looking for even the good things, all the good things that are happening to me, and somehow I think it's me that's done them, they have no power, no good. But if I can come back and remember, in the beginning, God. God gave me any blessings that I have. In the beginning, God. The very first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created in the beginning of everything in our life needs to be God. And how many times do we forget about God when things are going well? Well, you know what, God, you just, stay, you just stay over there in the corner. I'm doing okay. I've got my house. I've got my food. I've got a good job. I'm doing okay, and I've done it all myself. And we may not actually say I've done it all myself, but that's really what we're thinking. You know, we forget that in the beginning, God, even if it's blessing, At the end of the book of Job, it says after he'd gone through all the suffering that he went through, it said God gave him back twice as much as he had to begin with of all of his possessions and regave him kids. Poor Mrs. Mrs. Job (laughs) had to to give birth to nine more kids (laughs) Uh, just because of the trials that he went through. But so in in blessings, we need to look and say, in the beginning, God. God gave it to me. Which also means if he gave it to me, he has the right to take them away. He has the right to add to them. He has the the right to do whatever he wants with them. As long as we're focusing in, in the beginning, God. When we go through suffering, we need to do the same thing. In the beginning, God. We go back to Job. You know, Job's an interesting character. I love, I love the book of Job. You know, Job is going along. He's just living his life. He's happy. He's got lots of stuff. He's offering sacrifices. His kids have their parties. He offers sacrifices just in case they sinned in their, during their party, which they probably did. <laughs> and he makes offerings, and Satan, you know, Satan goes before God, and God points Job out. Have <laughs> you ever really noticed that? God pointed Job out to Satan. Hey, Satan, have you thought about Job? <laughs> you know, How many times has God pointed us out to Satan? We're walking along, maybe even forgetting that the good is all from God. And God says to Satan, you know, well, have you thought about my servant over there? When we go through suffering, our attitude still needs to be, in the beginning, God if we can just start putting in the beginning God into every part of our life how is it going to change the way we react when I wake up and I am so stiff I can't move in the beginning God God put it there for whatever reason I may not know what it is but you know God says I've got a plan for this it will work out for good in the beginning God And he says, I've got this plan, and we're going to work it out. So whether we have everything or we have nothing, God is in control. He has a plan, and he's at the beginning of it. How about in our day-to-day working world? In the beginning, God. He gives us the ability to work. He provides a job You people. Well, I worked real hard. I gave out the 100 million applications, and I did the interviews. And God gave you the voice, He gave you the skills, He gave you the time, He gave you the effort. So you wouldn't have done anything without God. In the beginning, God. You know, we need to put Him in the beginning of everything we do. You know, He tells us He wants our tithes and the first fruits offerings. In the beginning, God is He in the beginning, is He Lord of our money? For a lot of people, He's not. And he says, I want to have that. He promises to bless us when we honor him. Because if we can't give up our money to God, what are we saying? Money is my God. God, you're not important enough for me to give up my money. I've got to have my money because this is how I've got my security. This is how I've got my hope. Everything I need is in this money. And God will let let your God take care of you. And if you read enough of the Old Testament especially, you find out that the idols do not take care of you and God challenges the idols to take care of you. He goes, you got a problem? Go talk to your idol. We're doing Isaiah right now. and We're in a section of Isaiah where he tells them all the time. "You know, Your idols can't hear, speak, move, or do anything. When you have problems, go talk to your idols. <laughs> You've been worshiping those things that can't move, speak, or hear. Go t- you got a problem? Go talk to them. Don't come to me. God's got a kind of sense of humor. Now, but, you know, what is our relationship with God? Is he at the beginning of everything we do? Is he in the beginning of our success? Is he at the beginning of our uh, uh, issues, our pain, our, our issues? Is he at the beginning of our wealth? Is he at the beginning of our day? You know, do we focus on God at the beginning of each of our days? In the beginning, God. You know, and one thing I know is the more I focus on God at the beginning of my day, the better my day goes. Even if it's a bad day, my day is good (laughs) when I focus on God first. I love going to the work and just smiling at everybody saying, hey, good day. Isn't it a great day? And they'll grumble. (laughs) I got one guy who literally growls at me (laughs) because I come in every day and talk to him about how good the day is. He's only been there for 30 minutes and he's already... You know, having a bad day. You know, but I look at it this way: God, you're in the middle of this day. What what have you got in store for me today? Doesn't mean I don't have bad days. But for the most part, I go in and I'm in a good mood, trying to trying to say, God, I'm looking forward to. What are we going to do today? God, who are you going to give me to talk to today? How is this day going to be a good day? Getting into His Word, studying. You know. We, in the bulletins today, we had this little you know, the Bible reading schedule. You know what's amazing to me about Bible reading schedules? Is we're planning what we're going to read long ways in advance, and yet whatever you read that day is applicable to the day that you're reading it. It's an amazing thing to me. You read through, and then you go right through, and you use those verses all day long. Which is why we need to seek them in the morning, not at the end of the day, because at the end of the day, you read your verses and go, wow, I sure could have used that verse. I could have done this verse. I could have used this verse. You know, so I really encourage you. The Bible says, seek him early in the morning. <laughs> Whatever early is for you. I still work. I have to get up early. If you're retired, maybe, maybe early is a little bit later than my early. But, <laughs> you know, but what is early for you and how are you going to reach out? Really put God first. In the beginning, God. And we're going to really push this, you know, frequently throughout the year. In the beginning, God. Because he needs to be the first of everything that we do. Our first thought in the morning should be about God. Our last thought should be about God. You know, when we're going through a hard time, we can sit around and grumble and complain about it. We can get negative about it and make everybody else miserable around us, listening to us, because all we're doing is complaining all day long and whenever we're around them. Or we can say, in the beginning, God. God, what is it you've got for me to learn from this? I heard one of the preachers this week, he says, when anything bad happens to you, God is either trying to correct you or teach you. Well, I'm going to change that. Whatever happens to you, God's trying to teach you. Because correction is teaching. Anything we go through, God is trying to teach us something. And unfortunately for us, he usually teaches us through pain. Why? Because that's how most of us learn. (laughs) Most of us do not learn from, from good things happening to us. You know, uh, I've tried in my lifetime to learn things that, you know, when things, bad things happen to others, try to learn from them. But I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. My, my hardest and best lessons have come when God puts me through something painful and hard, and I have to respond by trusting him. And this is what's so important. Do I trust God? Do you trust God even in the middle of hard times? And you all know my favorite verse in the Bible is Romans eight twenty-eight: For all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. All things. And I've shared this not so much with the Sunday morning group but in some of the Bible studies. Even when I have sinned, And God is correcting me, and I am suffering in the consequences of my sin, it still will work out together for good. Because God already knew it was going to happen. And He knew He was going to have to discipline. And the plan already includes that discipline. And yet many times we will sit and we will just cry over the spilt milk and go, God, I am just, you know, yes, I know I deserve this, but I don't, you know, so I'll just endure. And that's a good attitude on one side. If I'm reaping the consequences of my sin, I have to endure the consequences. But by the same token, God's going to work it out for good, and hopefully I learn at least never do it again unfortunately most of us aren't that smart we will keep repeating it until the pain really hurts us and this is the problem with discipline for discipline to truly be successful it has to be severe enough that we never want to repeat the incident and because we are human with a sin nature that means we usually have to have a pretty severe consequence before we finally say okay God, take this, take this sin nature, this part of my sin nature away. I don't want to do this anymore. I want this sin nature crucified. Don't, I don't want to go through this anymore. You know, our discipline, the spankings, whatever word you want to use on it has to be severe enough that we don't want to do it again. You know, I don't know how many people have looked at the, the no littering signs. The no littering signs used to be like $50, $100 fine. Now they're $1,000, $1,500 why? Because most people said, I don't care. If they charge me $50, I'll, it doesn't matter to me. Most of us don't have $1,500 to throw out the window <laughs> you know, and litter. So the fines are getting high enough that people say, okay, that, that, that's my month's paycheck, or at least half my month's paycheck. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. God has to sometimes do the same thing with us. To get our attention, he says, the fine now... Is really high. You know, the fine for sin before God without the Jesus in our life is death. Jesus came to pay for our sins because we could not pay the price. You know, I'm looking around the room, I believe everybody in this room at least confesses that they know Jesus, so they know this is true. He has paid your debt. You are clothed in Christ. And God looks at you as righteous. We really, truly need to see ourselves the way God sees us. And when we start looking at ourselves the way God sees us, we then transfer that to God sees everybody around us the same way. How does God see us? Forgiven. Perfect. Perfect. Loved, called, chosen, perfect. Those are just a handful of the 53 things that we talked about in one of our classes. 53 things that God says we are. If we get to know those things, we should then deal with others in the same way. If I am forgiven and I'm dealing with somebody else who's forgiven, I better be able to forgive them. Because they're already forgiven by God. God loves me. They're loved by God. I should love other people. What would happen to our church if we started really understanding who we are in Christ and treating others the same way they are in Christ? We would have a dynamic church that people would want to be part of and they would be we probably would have to move the doors and walls out, which would be pretty tough since we have the river stone walls, but uh, we'd have to do something. We need to be able to understand in the beginning God, He has changed us. We are clothed in Christ. When God looks at His children, He sees perfect children. Now, this is one of the things that drove me crazy when I was working in this children's ministry and everybody's kids were perfect. I don't know why we had so many problems in Sunday school classes when everybody's kids were perfect. Because probably 80% of the parents, you told them, you know, your kid's a terror to this morning, not my kid. You know, now, what they said when I was teaching the adults was a whole different story about their kids, but what they told me as a Sunday school director or a Sunday school teacher was that their kids were perfect. But, you know, God sees us as perfect. Why? We're clothed in Christ. And he sees us as we will be when we're glorified. God is outside of time. He already sees us as as perfect. Not just that we will be perfect. Or that we are perfect in Christ. He sees us as perfect when we are glorified and made to be perfect. And God's already there saying, these are my perfect children. Why does God not destroy us? Because he doesn't see who we really are. Why do we have trouble with who we are? Because we look at ourselves as who we think we are and not who we are. We look at what we think we are saying, "I'm a sinner, I'm a terrible person, I've done all these things wrong. There's no way God can love me. There's no way other people and by the way, I just can't forgive myself." And God saying, "I have forgiven you. You are loved. You are perfect." That doesn't mean we're going to go around arrogant saying, look at me, I'm so perfect. But God <laughs> says he sees us as perfect. Now, he knows that we're a work in progress. He knows that the Holy Spirit is working on us. But, you know, if we could start dealing with people after what God says, we deal with other, ch- other people in the church and saying, this is God's perfect child. Who am I to judge the, the other individuals of the church? Now I can tell somebody, you know, this is what God says about your lifestyle, but I'm not going to sit there and judge them and condemn them. Because I don't want to be judged and condemned because God is working on me. God is working on you. We read the Bible and God all of a sudden tells us how bad we and awful we terrible and terrible we really are. Even when we've been walking with him for 40, 50, 60, 70 years, we look at the Bible and we've been making lots of progress toward being made uh, righteous and we look at the Word of God and it says, boy, I'm a terrible, awful person. But (laughs) God says, I'm perfect. Satan comes knocking at your door and says, uh, hey, you know what? If God knew what you did yesterday or this morning or five minutes ago, you know, you just, you know, he wouldn't love you. Just say, well, God, you know, Satan, you are absolutely right. I did bad things, but God has forgiven me and I'm going to heaven. And if you really want to rub it into him, you're going to hell. <laughs> Remind him where he's going if you need to. As he's attacking you, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're, you're blood-bought, you're you are perfect in the sight of God. Remind him that he's not going there. He's not forgiven. He's not blood-bought. He's rejected God and will spend eternity in hell. Now, none of us deal with Satan. None of us are that important to deal with Satan directly, but... The evil is the same. It's the same accusation. In the beginning, God. All of my day is going to be in God. What, is he, what have you got planned, God? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created man. And you know what? I don't know why he created man. Because he already knew man was going to sin. He knew Adam and Eve was going to sin before he created them. And he still created them. He knew that we were going to be born with a sin nature that was going to reject God and still died so that we could be forgiven. We have a song, and you know, when I first heard the song, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. And I'm going, well, yeah, it's obvious, but the more I've thought about that song, the more I realize we did not have a clue the price that God paid to redeem us. And yet, he created us, knowing the cost it was going to cost him to buy us back. I wouldn't have done it. I would never have created man in the first place, knowing knowing all that. And yet, God created man. Why? Maybe he'll tell us when we get to heaven. I don't know. I don't know if he'll ever tell us. It was a great cost. And as I've said many times, the great cost was that Jesus became sin and was separated from the Father and the Son, from the Father and the Spirit. Separated. Two people who had never been separated for all of eternity past were separated at the cross so that he could redeem us. We have no clue what that pain was. Most of the time we think, well, gee, he was scourged. And that's painful. We've talked about the scourging. They removed chunks of of flesh from his body. They pulled the beard out of his face. They stuffed the crowns of thorns onto his head. Scourged him. Terrible beating. None of us would have endured that, probably. Then they nailed him to a rugged cross where he got splinters up and down his back every time he wanted to breathe dying of thirst and think wow that was awful terrible and it was then the father and the spirit turned their back on him pulled separate and (coughs) paid that price the Father and the Spirit paid a heavy price for our redemption as well. They didn't actually take the sin, but they had to separate themselves from themselves. You know, we can't really understand what that would be like. You know, the nearest thing we can come up with is, you know, your very first love that you pined over for weeks after, afterwards. Or if you've been in a very long if you know somebody who's been married for a long time and their spouse passed away, and they're pining over the loss of their spouse, and even that is a pale reflection of what God went through to redeem us in the beginning God he paid a price and that price was paid for every one that of his children we need to really start looking and saying God how do I need to change the way I treat people I need to treat them the way you want to treat me and pass that on to other people so we want to look at this God says to seek first his kingdom and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek Him first in everything. What is God trying to do in our lives? Seek Him first. Seek Him always. You know, our first thought, God, what is it, what have you got planned for me today? You know. You know what what excitement? You know, we get to have an adventure every day. We have the adventure of God, what are you going to do today in my life? around me. I think some of these guys doing thrill-seeking need to go back to God and say, God, what have you got in store for me? Because it's quite a thrill when you get ready to speak for Christ and you're not sure how the people are going to accept it. Is this person going to be angry at me? Are they going to be mad at me? I've got one who argues with me anytime I talk about God. It's fun. (laughs) It's fun as he gets frustrated thinking he's making all these wonderful points that I haven't heard a million times already and thinking he's scoring points every time he talks to me and just answering all the things that he says. Half the time he's not listening after he thinks he scored a point, but that's okay. The word gets in. When we share our, share our testimony, we share the gospel with people and we think, well, that person didn't listen at all, you don't know how much God is going to use of your words later on. Later on, when all of a sudden God starts working in their heart, and then they remember all of us crazy Christians who ever said anything to them about sin, about death, about hell, about the changing power of God. We become a Christian. We become a new creation in Christ. I love that. Because when I got saved, I became a new creation in Christ. There were some big changes in my life, and I was only 10 years old, and God made some big changes in my life at 10 years old. Now, I know for many people, God really changes their life when they, when they come to him. They've been so far into sin, and God says, okay, let me lift you up. But I hope you remember that when you got saved, the lightness that you felt when the sin was taken off your back, and you started realizing, wow, God is wonderful. And you start learning to trust Him, learning to follow Him. Very powerful thing when you start learning to just trust God. Because it's an adventure to trust God. I have seen probably not really big miracles, but I know we've had miracles right here on on end of the month dinners when there's not enough food to feed everybody up there and everybody goes home full, and there's still a little bit of food in the pans. I am absolutely sure that God has added food to those pans. I know that there was a time that we had food added to a pans, when I was living in another place, and we had one small pot of of uh, gumbo and a and a, about five or six cups of rice and fed thirty people. <laughs> Impossible, and everybody had big appetites. People went back for seconds and thirds. <laughs> well, did how did that happen? And then God made a small miracle, just a little one. How does God meet miracles? Sometimes they're literal miracles. Sometimes he just provides. And says, here, here here's a little extra stuff. Here, here's a little bit more. God cares for us better than we can care for ourselves. All we need to do is put the trust on him. It can be that he might just shrink our appetite. Okay, I've got three crackers and for three days. Well, here, one cracker a day and I'm full. I haven't seen that. I've I've heard people say that, and I believe it could happen. How does God meet our needs? However He wants to. (laughs) However He wants to. So we want to be able to look and say, God, I want to put you first. First in all that I do. One last thing I want to talk about. You know, if you all remember who Caleb is, he was one of the spies that went into the Promised Land. And when they said... Where, you know, he was promised he was going to live past the 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. And he was promised that he could choose the plot of land he wanted. And he told them he wanted the mountain where the giants lived. <laughs> you know, here's somebody that's 60, 70, 80 years old saying, I want, the hardest, I want the hardest plot of land to take because God will be the one that gives it to me. What are we willing to do and trust with God. Do we just hide and say, God, I want, I want nothing? Or do we say, God, I want to live for you in a mighty way. God will raise us to the place where we can live that way. It takes time. Caleb just didn't wake up one morning and say, I want the hardest part. <laughs> you know, but he had a lot of confidence in God. Even 40 years later, he says, God will give us this land. He still trusted in it when he was older. Where are we with God? I'm going to challenge us to be better with God. Put God first in everything and seek Him in everything that you do. Seek the kingdom of God first and put God first. When everything seems to be going wrong, in the beginning, God. He's allowed it. He has a plan for it. When everything's going right, in the beginning, God. He's got to enjoy that season. It won't last. (laughs) You know. But also enjoy the season where things are going bad. It won't last either. It may seem like it's going to last when you're going through it. It may seem eternal when you're going through it. But I can tell you one thing, it will end. No matter what, even if it ends with death, it'll end. And then you have eternity to spend with God. Paul's statement, what is anything that we go through on earth compared to the riches of glory? Even if we spent our entire lifetime in pain and suffering, but have God, what is that in comparison to eternity in heaven? A trillion years from now, you won't remember anything that happened in this world anyway. As a matter of fact, you won't even be aware that a trillion years have gone by, but a trillion years from now, you're not going to remember anything that happened during your lifetime in this world, so don't worry about it. In the beginning, God. God put God in the center of all that you're doing. And I'm not gonna say it's gonna make things perfect and easy, but at least you'll be able to say, God, you're here. I'm gonna hold on to you for all I, all I have. You know, I love being at the bottom of the rope, hanging on to the knot that is for God, uh, all things work together for good and go, God, I don't know how this is gonna to work together, but I'm holding on to this knot as tight as I can because you said it's gonna be work together for good. And just holding on to it for dear life. Saying, God, I'm waiting to see how this is going to be for good. But until then, I'm holding on. I'm holding on to your word. Because his word is all we have to hold on to. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if anybody's listening to this that doesn't know you, we ask that today they will recognize that they're a sinner. And they will admit, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. Come into my life and save me. And that they will seek and tell somebody that. Lord, for those of us that are listening that know you, we ask that today we will make decisions to put you first in all that happens in our life. That we will constantly remember in the beginning, God, you were there. And that we will trust you more and more. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.